Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, September 15th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, Donald Trump wants to pick up the pace, popular Western Iowa campaign venues, and more news on the Davenport downtown building collapse. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. Tom's still feeling the sting of last night's uh, big game, so everybody just, um, uh, you know, show, show your extra kindness uh, to Tom. Uh, pile on Sarah Watson all you want because she's beaming. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. Speaking of people who need a little TLC, Jared McNett's Kansas City Chiefs are 0-1. Thanks for powering through and joining us today, Jared. Ain't, ain't, ain't no thing. This is, uh, this is 20 weeks we got. It's a marathon, not a sprint, right? And finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman, who's sporting his Twins shirt, so I don't know what, what to say to Todd. Well, I, I have to wear it now because their playoff run will last so little time that I might not get to well it might end before I can wear it again <laughs> or the laundry's done the next before, time right before it goes to the next laundry cycle <laughs> <laughs> all right first up well I, I should talk I I jinxed my badgers last week gave a big <laughs> on Wisconsin on sign off and then they went out and laid an egg out in Washington so uh I'm, I'm no better first up this week Donald Trump's campaign announced that the former and seeking to again be president is set to, quote, put the pedal to the metal, unquote, in Iowa, starting with campaign events here on Wednesday, which will kick off a stretch of five trips to the first in the nation Republican caucus state over the next seven weeks. This does represent a ramping up of Iowa's Trump's Iowa campaign schedule, relatively speaking, in that he has been to Iowa only seven times this whole year before now. On the other hand, it still dramatically lags behind the pace of the relentless campaigners here like Vivek Ramaswamy and Mike Pence, who have appeared at literally dozens of events in Iowa. Uh, same for Trump's closest competitor in the polls, Ron DeSantis. Uh, still, despite all that, Trump maintains a dominant lead in primary polling, both in, in nationally and here in Iowa. So, Todd, uh, <laughs> there was a national news story a little <clears throat> bit ago that cited some anonymous Trump campaign sources who said they wished the campaign, the Trump campaign, would step up its efforts in Iowa. Uh, and then this story comes out this week. I asked the Trump campaign if this announcement was a direct response to that report, and they said no, that these plans have been in the works for, for many moons. Uh, what do you make of this? <laughs> well, I, I think it's probably pretty good advice. I mean, you know, yeah, he's he's leading. He's got a commanding lead, I think that's fair to say. But you know, the, the difference between the national polls and in Iowa is that you've got all of these Iowans out there seeing all these other options and, uh, you know, and they're they're interested in them. And even the people that support Trump say they're willing to consider another choice. And just to add to that, Todd, the, his lead is not as big in the Iowa yeah, polls right. as it is nationally. Yeah, it's about 10 points lower, or, or depending yeah. on what you look at. So... He he needs to get out here and remind all of his you know all the all the passengers on the Trump train why they jumped on in the first place. Uh, and you know if there are a bunch of rallies, I think that's a you know I've been I really have not been seeing very many uh, you know like F Biden flags and stuff. I think people need a place to go where they can buy that stuff, which is Trump rally is perfect. They can he's get all the, the economy they, by not holding they, these rallies too. They is that can what you're get. Saying? They can get all their F-bomb Trump paraphernalia right there and conveniently near their home. But, yeah, I mean, he's 
he's you know he's the favorite here but he's you know there there are weaknesses and and you've also seen you know some of these uh, you know fairly prominent state legislators who have endorsed uh Ron DeSantis some former party leaders and i think you know any anybody that's got eyes should be able to see that Kim Reynolds thinks a lot of of Ron DeSantis i mean they right. they took in the Iowa, Iowa state game together <laughs> maybe they shared a popcorn i don't i don't know with trump but, in the building with Trump right above somewhere in the in the uh, press box uh, where he was cheered and also there were a few birds flying, it looked like. <laughs> Fielded some, some <laughs> one-finger waves. A few birds that were not Cyclone Cardinals. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's he's he does have work to do. He just can't, you know, he just can't go around the country holding big rallies like he's the current president or already the nominee. He, you know, Iowans will expect him to be here and – and it sounds like they're going to start doing that. Yeah, I, I think – sorry, go ahead, Jed. I was just going to say it seems like at least for the time being, people moved on from having the F Joe Biden flag. So saying F you to Mike Pence if anyone saw the uh, <laughs> the video from uh, Decora earlier in the uh, the week. There's a lot of stuff getting F'd. I mean that's just – that's the, the country we live in, I think. <laughs> I, I missed that. So so fill me in, Jared. What happened in Decorah? Uh somebody told uh Mike Pence, uh, leave and get the F out of our country and get the F out of Iowa. And then uh Mike Pence to his credit responded with uh thank you. I'm going to put him down as a maybe. <laughs> uh, that's, that's solid. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> credit wouldn't do. That's solid. Uh I, I guess at least he didn't say go back to where you came from. Uh that, that's <laughs> a slight uh upgrade in the um exchange there uh yeah i todd i think i i i agree i was just gonna say um he's obviously the in the in the commanding seat but there's also obviously still a lot of time uh before january 15th and we've seen candidates surge in the past and and uh uh so trump has not won the caucuses yet um and and to the campaigns um you know uh, credit, I suppose uh, they are saying, and and now trying to show in their actions with this schedule that they're not taking anything for granted yet. And um, it, it, that's if if they want to be successful here, that's probably the uh, smart play. But it, it'll be interesting. Um, and and it'll be interesting. We were talking about this a little bit uh, before we uh, flipped the record button on uh, because uh, those events next week are coming to Eastern Iowa and, and uh, uh, some of our team here will be covering that. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how these work with it. It's a mixture of sort of caucus organizing events with Trump campaign volunteers and, and then the big rallies that uh, Todd was talking about. So it'll, see, it'll be interesting to see what kind of effect that has and, and how effective that is for the Trump campaign. Aaron, you mentioned, you know, the pace of uh, folks like Pence and uh, Ramaswamy and that they've been doing all of that campaigning. And it is weird that we're in a place where not only does it seem to be hurting Trump in the polls that he's not doing a lot of campaigning here, but it doesn't seem to be helping anyone else that yeah. much that they actually are campaigning. Right. And that's so. So here's a weird like it's not a prediction, but it's a thought bubble that I'll I'll just pop uh, live on the podcast here. Um I, I wonder if we're going to see one or two candidates really surge in a big way really late in this cycle um, for those reasons, like the, the, all the reasons we've talked about, the, the polling and the, and the, the list of the people are, are still considering, uh, but aren't, you know, picking as their number one right now. I, I wonder if we'll see uh, 
that happened, but just really, really late, not see it until like December. Um, you know, when people really start to, uh, say to themselves, all right, I got, I got to make up my mind. I got, I got to get my list of three or five and I got to pick one. Um, so I don't know, it, or, or it'll stay this way right through January 15th. I, I don't know. I, it, I, it's just going to be interesting to me. That, that, it just feels like something's got to happen there that hasn't yet. And, and I wonder if that will, but it'll just be really late. Well, I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for the uh, Glenn Youngkin October <laughs> surprise where he just jumps into the race and clears the field. <laughs> People are still talking about that. And he it'll isn't dissuading the, uh, them, but yeah. it's... It'll be the Deval Patrick of uh, of this cycle for for Republicans. <laughs> oh man! Um, here here we go. I'll tease to next week's podcast because I can't remember. We talked about. I had a conversation about this with a source, and I can't remember if it was on the record or not. So let me go back about Glenn Youngkin. So let me go back and find out if it was, and if it it was, I'll share it on next week's podcast. Okay, how about that for a tease? That's how it's done, folks. <laughs> Moving on. If any of those pending Trump visits come to Western Iowa, our Jared McNett has a lead on some venues the former president may visit. Jared has been working on a story on frequent caucus campaign event venues in Western Iowa, and I'd like to have him chat about that right now. And uh, and also a reminder to y'all to definitely watch out for that story uh, planned for Tuesday in the Sioux City Journal. So watch out for that early next week. Uh, Jared, I, I remember doing a similar story, and, and I don't recall if it was four or eight years ago, but I remember it being a kind of a fun and interesting story about the, the the frequent places that caucus candidates were visiting. Mine was a little more simple and superficial, just just kind of highlighting here's the places um, people go, the common landing spots. Sounds like you're taking your story to the next level. So, so Jared, tell us a little bit about what you're working on. So yeah, the um, the places that GOP candidates are coming to for this primary are a bit different than the last go around in, in 2016 for Republicans. In fact, um, one of them, uh, Port Neal Welding down in um, Salix, uh, hadn't hosted any campaign event before this cycle, and it's now already hosted three. Uh, it had Nikki Haley come there, Ron DeSantis, and Doug Burgum. And um, part of the reason for that is that early on in this cycle, some of the folks in charge of the, the county GOP um, decided to reach out to businesses of, of different sizes, you know, so you could have the right fit for the right candidate to see if those different venues would be willing to host candidates when they came through. So that's kind of one reason why there's been some different venues this go around and things has been a little more um, regimented, maybe. And uh, another thing is that some of the owners of these local businesses, like Port Neal Welding, which I mentioned, um, they kind of see it as their duty almost to play whatever part they can in uh, bringing about the changes they believe are needed. Um, and they feel that's especially true in this uh, election. Um, and then something else at work, uh, which I chatted with a uh, political science professor about, is that you know quite a few times when candidates are coming through this cycle in, in any part of the state, and this part's, part of the state's no different, that some of these candidates, they're in the middle of a policy push that they're making. And so the venues for this cycle can help amplify that. Like Tim Scott's very first event in Sioux City was at a school and he was really talking about school uh, choice, school vouchers, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, even in a way, Mike Pence, who's really focused a lot on, you know, kind of past norms of the party and returns to those traditions, showed up at a, a pizza ranch for his first event yeah. in town, which, you know, 
it, it takes a little bit more walking to, to get to that uh, point, but there, there is some truth to that there in picking a venue like that. Um, so, you know, these kind of places can reflect, reflect different things about the campaign. And I should say that, um, you know, while some of these points have held true for Democratic candidates in past cycles, some of the uh, venues are markedly different, um, which I get into in my uh, my story. Very good. And that that uh, are there any crossover venues? Are there and you you don't have to give away specifics if you don't want if you want to leave us with a tease. But are there any that uh, hosted? both Democratic and Republican candidates alike? Uh, there is at least one, uh, which nice. uh, Pizza Ranch has post, uh, hosted uh, folks go. from both parties in the past. There you um, go. I, I was curious, since we got people from all around the state and with all kinds of experience, what are the, the most bizarre venues that uh, <laughs> each one of you guys have been to for a campaign event? Ooh, that's a good one. Todd, can uh, you think of one? Uh, the first one that pops into my head is when uh, John Kasich was running, and I, that was probably what the, I don't know if it was the 2000 or 2004 cycle he didn't actually he was exploring he didn't hadn't actually declared and he visited the hoover museum which he was the first candidate to do that in probably ever because well you know nobody wants to be associated with hoover and the depression (laughs) i think i think it was safe you know by the 21st century to sort of go ahead and go ahead and visit hoover uh yeah otherwise that's uh yeah, I I can't. That isn't that is a good one. I can't think of any like cringe type. These campaigns have gotten good enough at this. I feel like at this point that they are careful about where they're going. Um, I I can't think of any that just felt odd or weird. Um, one that does stand out, and but because it was cool, not because it was weird, was the uh, motorcycle museum in uh, Anamosa, and that was with the um, eventual President Biden. Uh, this past cycle just because that's you know such a cool place and uh, uh we had a photographer there so it made for some really cool photos <laughs> yeah we- nikki haley has campaigned at a private antique car collector oh nice um, and that's like miller one of miller meeks's favorite like campaign spots too uh howard dean was at the state fair this was late in the campaign and he'd started his slide and there were it was notable to me because i i had a nice chat with Martin Sheen and Rob Reiner <laughs> in nice. the back because they were both supporting him. And but they had the stage set up and everything. And then all of a sudden this giant garage door opened and this bus the campaign bus came in and Howard was hanging off the side up, <laughs> up in his fist. <laughs> Just like, don't fall off, you <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, his bus, the tires went flat on caucus night, so <laughs> wait wait what, literally what? or figuratively <laughs> well yeah well you, you, there's the scream which you know everyone everyone's heard about right all right jared did you have one more to throw in there look like you're about I, to one, say something. yeah one i very distinctly remember uh you know because in the last cycle john delaney was campaigning up here before like anyone else was doing any <laughs> right. campaign events at all i covered one of his like early on in 2019 i think at like a diner type place in uh, in Mason City, and there were clearly some like local folks that had a beef with each other that just started arguing like in the middle of the event, like when he was doing Q and A's afterward, and so he kind of had to like defray that situation. Oh wow! <laughs> Showed his presidential qualities uh, right there, and, and able to d- diffuse a local argument. Right in the Jared, of the diner. 
Jared <laughs> will appreciate this one. I covered Gary Bauer, who was an evangelical Christian activist who ran for president. And he had an event at uh, Trinity Heights with the uh, giant stainless steel Jesus. And, that's a that's and, a very and, scenic uh, venue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a, he was the shortest candidate too. So that made it even more shortest <laughs> candidate visits tallest Jesus. <laughs> oh man. All right. So that'll be a good story. Make sure you check out Jared's story uh, early next week, Tuesday at the, uh, in, in your printed uh, copy of the Sioux city journal or at the uh, journal.com. All right. Uh, before we jump off the caucus campaign trail, let's talk uh, real briefly. Cause we'll, we'll follow up with a bigger discussion next week, but talk briefly about the Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition event taking place Saturday in downtown Des Moines. As of our taping here on Thursday afternoon, nine Republican presidential candidates planned to appear at the event, including uh, most of the notable candidates, with the lone and significant exception of Donald Trump. Tom, you're going to be in Des Moines with me to cover Saturday night's event. Uh, at least I hope you are. You, you said you were, uh, unless you're backing out on me. Uh, what, what are you interested to hear Saturday night? Yeah, so... Um... I'm going to be, I think the thing that's going to be most interesting that I'm going to be paying attention to is um, how the candidates are positioning themselves on the issue of um, uh, abortion. Um, you know, we saw some of that play out in um, the, uh, the the primary debate um, last month in, in Milwaukee um, and um, particular candidates, um, you know, trying to um you know, discredit some of the other people on stage saying that, um, you know, they're not, um, you know, as, as pro-life, you know, as, as I am, you know, they, they are not willing to go as far as I would in terms of, um, you know, supporting, um, abortion bans. Um, and, um, man, I'm going to have to, I'll have to pull up the list. I can't remember. Um, is, is Nikki Haley going to be there? I think she will be right. Yes. Yeah. So Nikki, Nikki Haley is going to be there. Um, you know, I'll be looking to see how she's positioning herself, particularly on that issue, just because of what we saw from her during um, the um, RNC debate, you know, um, saying that, you know, look, um, I'm going to um, be straight with you. And, and, you know, it's time that we, you know, talk hard truths to the American people and I'm going to treat you like an adult. And, you know, look, there is no way that with this Congress, are we going to be able to pass a national abortion ban? Um, so it'll be interesting with, with this group of evangelical voters to see what kind of reception she gets uh, on that issue. Um, I guess some of the other things that I'm going to be looking for, um, you know, Mike Pence hasn't really gotten a whole lot of traction in Iowa when you look at the polling um, but has been, you know, leaning heavily um, into um, his faith, right, and his outreach to Iowa evangelical leaders. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what what reception he gets, you know, and, and how responsive evangelical leaders are to him in his campaign, and particularly, you know, his big push about, um, you know, um, uh, pushing for a nationwide abortion ban, um, as well as his um, messaging and stance um, as it relates to um, parental rights. Um, you know, he he's, you know, made the um, Linmar School District um, policy, their, their um, kind of um, gender affirming 
uh, policies, um, you know, protecting uh, rights of transgender students. Um, he's made that kind of a, a focal point of his campaign and, um, you know, that whole parental rights push. And he's been, uh, again, a, a vocal critic of the Linmar district and, and policies like that. Um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, today um, just launched a new national uh, faith and family coalition that includes um, endorsements from um, I think 36 Iowa faith leaders. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see um, how much support he has from Iowa's even influential evangelical community and whether that's going to be enough for him to um, kind of gain some momentum, right, in, in the polls. And if that's going to be enough to kind of put him within um, striking distance of, of Trump in Iowa, um, you know, historically, Iowa's, you know, faith leaders, evangelical leaders have not been supporters of Trump. Um, you know, they didn't back him in, in, in 2016 instead of, you know, going in and supporting Ted Cruz. Um, so, yeah. And, and then just lastly, um, you know, uh, Tim Scott, I can't remember if he's going to be there or not. Um, I believe he is. Yep. You're right. Okay. Um, you know, Tim Scott has made um, his faith, you know, um, central and forefront um, to, to his campaign. Um, and it'll be, it'll be interesting again to see how that's resonating with, um, with, with Iowa evangelical voters, you know, kind of, you know, that more optimistic message, you know, kind of being that happy GOP warrior. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see whether evangelicals, you know, like that or if they're really looking for more of a fighter, somebody who's a little bit more combative, like a Ron DeSantis, um, you know. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, the, the abortion stuff I wanted to circle back to because. Um, we saw a little bit as a reminder, this is the second uh, of these events that the Faith and Freedom Coalition has held uh, this year. They did one in the spring as well. Um, and is that that was the one where Mike Pence announced his support for a 15 week federal abortion bans. Uh, so so it'll be interesting to see uh, all these months later. I think that was in March or April, um, uh, you know, where where that issue stands now in this field. I, I agree. That'll be uh, interesting to, to watch Saturday night. All right. Um, finally, we have uh, more to share about the, and I should say finally for this podcast, not finally, we have more news to share because we talked about this last week too. There's been plenty of news to share about the downtown Davenport building collapse. Our Sarah Watson on last week's podcast shared some of the first reactions to a damning report on the collapse and the events that preceded it. Sarah and the Quad City Times team have had a little more time to more fully digest that report, and they've been writing about it all week. Uh, so, Sarah, what, what are some of the top line, the latest top line headlines uh, since last we talked about this last week? Yeah, so um, I think the biggest takeaway is that uh, the report very clearly says that um, if brickwork and, uh, and installing had been appropriately installed, and appropriately done in the last three days before it collapsed, um, it wouldn't have collapsed. So, um, so then that led us to, well, okay, who did that work? And remarkably, the report doesn't name the contractor who did the work. Um, it talks in depth about the engineers who advised on the work, but um, 
it only refers to the most recent masonry contractor. Like that's how they refer, refer to them. Wow. And when you look at the permitting for that work that was taken out May 24th, before the, just a few days before the building collapsed, it lists the contractor as owner. So that's really, um, I think the biggest takeaway from this report is that it appears that um, uh, at, it, it was not a known masonry contractor that was doing the uh, brickwork and installing shoring and that um, those the the shoddy workmanship or I should say the uh, the work that was done and the and the um, supports that were there were were not enough to hold up the wall and that's ultimately what what uh, caused it to collapse. And it, it talks about other obviously proximate causes. You know, um, there was a lack of understanding about the wall being structural. They thought that it was just a, a veneer wall. And, um, and that, that's amazing to me that right there, that there was, they were wrong about whether or not it was a, a support wall. Yeah, so it's an unusually it's a, it's kind of an unusual situation where um, it's a it's a very old building. It was one of the first uh, tall buildings, and I'm saying tall in quotations, mm -hmm. um, in the Quad Cities, built in 1906, 1907. And uh, it's a um, the mace the brick wall is the structure. It's part of the structure of the wall. Um, there's not like a gap. I'm not a structural engineer or a uh, <laughs> masonry expert but uh they basically misjudged that taking away bricks from the wall was going to cause some instability in the wow. wall and yeah. uh and yeah so then it's so that's amazing i would say that is the biggest question mark that we still have going forward is um is who actually was doing this work to remove uh bricks and put up this uh what the report calls grossly inadequate shoring um and whether then, you know, that leads to further action in court. Yeah, yeah, of, of which there's already plenty, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sarah, yet again, I'm already uh, guessing what the answer to my question will be, but uh, any any word from the, uh, the owner? No. <laughs> Though he yeah. has, like I said last week, he has in lawsuits named Select Structural Engineering, um, basically blaming them for not accurately predicting the, the risk of collapse. Yeah, I, I I would be shocked if if he says anything while all this uh, litigation is is pending. That would be great if he did, uh, but... Uh, that's, that's the best time to talk to reporters. <laughs> well, we certainly think so. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, well, um, obviously more to come on that one uh, too, and, and, uh, continue to follow Sarah and the team's reporting on that story, uh, with the quad city times and at their website. Um, that should do it for this edition of on Iowa politics. We hope you enjoyed it. Tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And, uh, we also post this thing on, uh, all our websites as well. So you can find it there. Now that you've listened to the on Iowa politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the on Iowa politics newsletter where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone that you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, 
and the Sioux City Journal. Natalie Brown will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.